This podcast is all about adhesive looting. I'm talking with Marcio from the University of Leuven. He finds a really good balance between all these posts and social media we see sometimes about just warming the composite and light cure it. What about the best available evidence of the products we're using. This podcast is part of the GSEM-1 Looting Symposium in preparation of the 100th birthday of the GC Corporation. Welcome to today's podcast. I'm here connected with Belgium. Welcome to the show, Martio. Thank you very much, Jörg. Uh, it's a pleasure for me to be here with you again, discussing a little bit about dentistry. We have already done that before, and I'm sure it will be a, a very productive conversation again. Actually, the last podcast was about to cement or to bond. And just one question, Marcio. Yes. We have a lot of adhesives out there, and even good adhesives, bad adhesives, and good and bad bonding. Is the crappiest bonding you can get still better than cementing? Than cementing with a glass ionomer, for example, you mean? For right? example. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that, of course, bonding is always a good option. I, I always would like to bond everything that I have. If I could, I would do that. But the thing is that clinically, it's not like that. Clinically, we have so many challenges and depending on the challenges you have you much better cement with a glass ionomer than using a bonding technique in a wrong way because the consequences that we are going to have to have later can be really drastic for your clinical case so a glass ionomer is more forgiving is less technique sensitive so You are going to use it in a very easy way. If you don't have a rubber dam, it will still perform well. If you have a good preparation, it's more than enough for, your, for the retention of your crown. But on the other side, if you use a bonding system, but you use without a rubber dam, you don't use the, the, the right technique, then in each one of these steps of the, of the bonding procedure, you can commit a mistake and the accumulation of mistakes will lead to postoperative sensitivity or to secondary caries and so on. So I don't really agree with that. I, I think that for each clinical case, there is a correct material to be used. I would say that nowadays, 50% of my cementations are done with glass ionomer and the other 50% is done with bonding systems, with composites, looting cements. Is there some evidence out there that, that even let's say it uh, looks at the clinical situation. Also can you say in an evidence-based way that uh, this is your just your opinion or is there literature supporting that? Since you're working at the university, I have to ask you that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, that's a dilemma. Huh? Evidence-based dentistry, it, it's really uh, a dilemma because if I could, I would do everything based on evidences in the literature, yeah? It's not always that we have evidences for everything that we do nowadays. And what we do know is that the glass ionomers are less technique sensitive. Yeah. But then we fall into a trap, which is very interesting to discuss since we are talking about evidence-based dentistry and so on. Like in evidence-based dentistry, 
we are talking about a study, for example, a clinical study, which was done at the university with all the, the environment controlled, using a rubber dam, taking the time to do each step correctly. Yeah, and in the clinical practice, things are a little bit different. It's not always that you can use a rubber dam. It's not always that everything is controlled. In a clinical study, for example, you exclude the patients which are not favorable many times. Yeah, you, you look there in the study exclusion criteria. Patients with bruxism, patients with bad occlusion, patients with uh, periodontal problems, patients with bad occlusion. Like on our daily practice, we don't have only ideal patients. <laughs> right? So all of this has to be taken into account. But yes, I would say that there are indeed evidences that using glass ionomers for the cementation of conventional crowns will indeed give very favorable benefit. When would you bond a crown? I mean, a full crown is usually kind of hard to bond under rubber dam. What are your tricks for that? Yeah, so the, the idea here is that you you always do a combination between the cement you are using and the kind of restoration you are asking to the lab. So actually, when you do your preparation, at the moment you are doing your preparation, you are already deciding which looting cement you are going to use. Many people do the contrary. They ask the crown to the lab, and when they receive the crown, they think, okay, what am I going to use to cement this? That's not the right thing. So for example, I just finished my preparation. I see that my preparation is good enough. It's high enough. I managed to do a good retentive preparation. Uh, retention form is correct. And I see that I cannot use a rubber dam. Well, I know I cannot use a rubber dam, so I have to use a, a glass ionomer to cement. So I'm not going to ask for a feldspathic crown or a lithium desilicate crown, which is more translucent, because I know that glass ionomers are opaque and that they are going to shine through. I'm going to then ask a zirconia crown. It can be, for example, a zirconia copying with baked porcelain on top to give more aesthetic result. Yeah, but I'm going to search for, for a zirconia because I know that I can use a zirconia with a glass ionomer. And I know that I cannot use a glass ceramic with a glass ionomer. So that's the point. You have to check your clinical case. You have to combine your knowledge for which looting cement am I going to use And then you will know which crown, which material you're going to ask for your crown. So that's how I, I usually decide which kind of looting cement I'm going to use. If I'm going to cement with a glass ionomer or if I'm going to bond with an adhesive resin cement. Interesting approach. Actually, never thought about this, <laughs> but it seems logic. <laughs> yeah. And nowadays you can do very beautiful things with zirconia, for example. Yeah, so I wouldn't doubt cementing even an anterior tooth, a tooth 11, for example, with a glass ionomer as soon as I am using a zirconia crown. You, uh, zirconia copying with baked porcelain on top of it, you, you can have very good results. But since your university, let's get a big uh, back to the evidence-based. Yeah. As soon as we have a new material on the market... Yeah. Should we wait for evidence or should we think, hey, that's cool, I want to try it out because it seems easier? 
<laughs> yeah, this is a dilemma for all of us, actually. Well, I am at the university nowadays. I work at the university nowadays, so I have indeed this academic way of thinking. But don't be scared. I don't bite. And actually, I worked for the, the biggest part of my, my career, and it's already 20 years of dentistry, actually more, 23. I have worked a lot as a dentist in the clinical practice. I have also worked in the industry. So I have always seen the development of materials in companies. Yeah, And the dilemma here, as you said, is the dilemma between the people who are really evidence-based, more academic people, and the early adopters. The early adopters are those guys who go to a congress, they see somebody talking about a new technique or a new material, and they immediately will take it over, they will bring it to the practice, and they will start using. They, they don't really care if there is literature on that, if it's proved, and so on. On the other side, you have the more academic people who are going to be more careful, they are going to wait a little bit longer, see how it goes, and then they are going to decide if they are going to use this new product or not. Actually, because I have already been on both sides, I believe that both are important. The new adopters, the early adopters are important, and the people more evidence-based are also important because both are important for the development of dentistry. We cannot wait for evidence, really high quality, evidence-based dentistry to start using a new material because it takes too long. Like for us to get a high level of evidence, which means randomized, double-blind, controlled clinical studies, and then many clinical studies so that we can do a meta-analysis in a literature review, it takes years if not decades, to develop this. And it's very difficult. So if we have to wait for this, we are never moving forward. And the early adopters, they are going to have this function of accelerating the development of dentistry because they will take a new product, they will take in their hands, they are going to start using and they are going to show via their experience that it does work. So actually, I think a balance between the two is the best new adopters, evidence-based dentistry, both of them together are making dentistry move forward. It's like a democracy. You have the right wing, you have the left wing. Like, both are important for the democracy. You know, I am a more left-wing guy, but I know that the right wing is also important for the discussion, you know? What cannot happen is extreme. You know, an early, early adopter did that starts using a new technique for everything, get a new product and you start using for all the clinical cases, that cannot happen. Then you have to wait a little bit more, you have to be more careful. What is extreme for you in dentistry? Do you have an example for that? Yeah, like extreme is like, for example, well, I, I'm going to give an example that I have been experiencing nowadays. Like, you know, there is this new trend to bond crowns and and indirect restorations in lace on lace with heated light cure composite. So you take the composite that you use for your restorations, you heat it to a certain degree, and then it becomes more fluid. And then you use it to cement a crown. And I have already been in a Congress in which the speaker would say, well, I cement 
all my inlays, onlays, and porcelain crowns with heated composite. Well, and then my question here is, is it evidence-based? Well, no, it's, it's still not evidence-based with high-quality clinical studies with long follow-ups, many studies saying that it does work, and it's not evidence-based. But we are already using this technique for a long time. There are some levels of evidence in the literature showing that it works, you know. So we can start using it. I am using this technique. But what I would say that it's extreme is to say that I use it for everything. And that's not correct. That's extreme. Yeah, so I'm using a light cure composite. But do I know how much of opaque porcelain my lab technician has used in my crown? Do I know if the light is passing through this crown? Well, if I doubt, I better use a dual cure cement instead of heated light cure composite. Yeah, so there are situations in which you can use. There are situations in which you cannot use. And when you come out saying that you use it for everything, this is for me extreme. <laughs> for example, when we cement an onlay, I mean, there can be arguments for using a heated composite or just a very a composite which is, I don't... Uh, Do they have to be heated or just to be very soft? Well, this technique of the working with heated composite makes the removal of excesses easier. And in the past, they would say that also the restorative composite is stronger than more fluid composites that we use for a cementation, like the, the veneer cements that we used before. Mm. Well, nowadays we have looting cements which are light cured or even flowable composites or nowadays we have also these injectable composites and they have very high properties so they are as strong as restorative composites and they have this consistency when they are injectable they have this consistency which is also not so running it's not really a running consistency so when you cement and lay with that it's also very easy to remove excesses so you can also you, you can also use this this kind of, of materials. But to your question, like if I know, if I'm sure that the light is passing through my crown, I would use this technique. Actually, I know that my light is passing through, for example, when I use I'm using a CADCAM block, mm -hmm. because there are studies showing that for the CADCAM blocks, when they are high translucency, the light is passing through. But then I know exactly what I have. It's a monoblock. It's made always of the same thing. There are studies showing the light pass through. If you are receiving a crown from the lab, an onlay from the lab, for example, you don't know how much opaque has been used there. You don't know which kind of porcelain has been used there. So you don't know how much of the light is passing through. So then, yeah, it becomes a little bit more, more difficult to use this technique. And well, let's say that nowadays I use actually the injectable composites. There are some looting cements like GSM veneer, for example, from GC, which has a very good consistency. It's not so runny. Or the Genio injectable, it's an injectable composite. Many people think that it's a flowable, but actually it's, it's called injectable because it really stays in place. 
mm. when you apply it on the surface. So actually, I'm using this actual cement because then I am sure that the cement is going to flow completely, that the cement is going to give me a very thin film thickness. So that's what I am what I am using nowadays. I, I, I don't really use a lot heated composite technique. Interesting. When you remove the excess, do you are you like uh, if it's pure light curing, you don't tech cure probably then? No, yeah, I try to avoid the tech curing technique. Because I do believe, and again, we are talking about clinical experience, yeah, because it's not evidence-based dentistry. We still don't have an answer for that in the literature. So we are talking about, about clinical experience here. I believe that when you take cure and you take this excess of cement out, you also remove a little bit of cement from the cement line between the restoration and the preparation. And there you can have plaque accumulation, you can have then discoloration of the margin, you can have secondary caries, and so on. So I prefer to remove the excesses with a brush. So I have these, these brushes that we use to model the composites when we do a restoration. I usually use these brushes to remove the excesses. Then I use a super floss for between the teeth to remove the excesses. And then I light cure. And if there are still some small excesses here and there, I remove it with a blade and then I polish this interface. I am not really fond of tech cure, actually. <laughs> actually, a lot of people are always thinking about what would be the best thing. Just recently, I also saw a post on Instagram where the brushing was endorsed because it makes everything easier, even when yeah. tech cure. <laughs> yeah. yeah indeed like you use a brush you you have a very good situation like i am used to use the brush nowadays and it does work well but then it's like you know this is also something related to this discussion about evidence-based dentistry and so on actually i used to say that the best product is the product that works better in your hands yeah <laughs> so let's say that you have a product which is a little bit better and a product which is a little bit worse. But this one, which is a little bit worse in terms of properties, yeah, in terms of strength, wear resistance, water absorption, and so on, this one, which is a little bit worse, is the one that you master. And the other one, which is theoretically the strongest, you don't really master in your hands. So when you use it, you are not going to use it in the correct way. And then you are not benefiting for from from his properties so actually then you better use the other one which is maybe a little bit less but that works perfectly in your in your hands that you master that you use it in a very easy way without risks of committing mistakes you know and then we come back to the situation of the clinical studies in which everything is controlled we have the whole morning to do one cementation you know so, so this has to be taken into account. Like, for example, when we talk about these universal products, you know, like universal bondings, universal lootings. Do you use this, this universal product? Uh, actually, I'm a big fan of universal adhesives with MDP, for example, in deep endocavities. Because yeah. I looked at the market, uh, at all the one-bottle systems with MDP inside, 
and found out that uh, since I don't want to have this pooling effect yeah. uh, deep in the canal because I uh, like to melt the gutta perisha very deep. Yeah. But I also had a hassle with this gold standard adhesive with a big pooling. And I spent a lot of time thinking about how do I get rid of this pooling. And in the end, I might see on the X-ray like a dark line, which yeah. was a fact. And I was quite glad when I found some universal adhesive where I could, I was allowed to blow dry it very hard uh, yeah. to get a small film. And I was even more happy when I found out that I can mix it with a dual cue activator. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Still allowed to light cure it. I mean, I just say it as a GPM you want. Yeah. Um, but for this purpose, it's really, really great because light curing is something which is kind of hard in deep cavities or in deep yeah. endodontic excesses. In this way, I'm kind of happy and it works good in my hands. Voila. So that's the point that I was saying. Like It's something that works good in your hands. And for example, I, I also use the universal bondings. Let's say they were not launched like 10 years ago. Huh? Like uh, They are new products. And let's say, do we have a lot of high quality evidence-based literature about them? No, we still don't have. It's too early to have this high-quality evidence-based dentistry about universal bondings or universal looting cements. But we are already using for, for quite some years, and they are working really well. We have lower-level evidences, in vitro studies, clinical studies of short follow-up, showing that they, they do work well. And I would say that on top of it, a big advantage for them is that they are going to be used by the dentist out there who is working in their practice with time restrictions, with limitations, with real clinical cases, with challenges, with a patient that doesn't stop in the chair, with a child that doesn't stop crying, with a, an old patient that cannot stay with the mouth open for a long time, with a subgingival restoration, you know? And when you have the opportunity of working faster, you are also working better in these cases. Mm. So it's that situation in which I told you like, okay, I know that maybe if I use a three-step etch and ring system, I will have the in vitro studies show that they give 40 megapascal while the universal bonding gives 35 megapascal. Is it going to play a role clinically? This five megapascal difference? Most probably not, with the advantage that with the universal one, I'm going to work faster and I will have less chances of committing mistakes in real dentistry. So that's a case in which, for example, I would be a, an early adopter. I would use this, this universal bonding. I also use the G-Premio bond. And now they just started with the universal looting. Have you heard about that? You mean the GCN one? Yeah. yeah, yeah, like a self-adhesive uh, cement, which even comes with a primer, a special primer for that. Yeah, and why is that? Because we know that the self-adhesive cements, they are acidic, but they are not acidic enough to etch denting or to etch, for example, a, a build-up made of composite. Yeah? Mm. If you have a preparation which doesn't have any retention, so it's a non-lay, which is very flat, yeah, without many retention, with a lot of enamel on the 
around the tooth, and with a composite in the middle. Well, the self-adhesive cement is not indicated for that. It's not the bonding is not strong enough for this challenge. So what did they do? They added a bonding system so that when you have a favorable situation, like a good preparation, which is somehow retentive with a lot of denting, you use the self-adhesive cement as it is without the need of a separate bonding. But if you have a case in which the surface is quite flat without many retentions, a lot of enamel, a lot of composite buildup, you know that the self-adhesive cement is not going to work well. Okay, good. You have a separate bonding that you know that works together with the cement. And then you can use this cement for everything. So it's a more universal situation. So it gives you the best of both words, let's say, for people who need to work faster. Yeah. So would I start using? Yes, I would start using it. And I think that I would start using it, but of course I would be careful. I'm not, I would not use in any situation. I would start slowly and I would experience more and more about it. And then I would take my, my own conclusions because of course I'm not going to wait 10 years until I have evidence-based dentistry to, to use it. Yeah. So that's when I am talking about, okay, I understand when a dentist tells me, Marcio, I have to work faster. I, in many situations, I cannot do so many steps. And that's why I use a universal bonding or a universal looting. I do understand that. Yeah. If I have the option, I would prefer to use a dual cure adhesive cement, which comes with a separate bonding, two steps of for the bonding, you know, uh, selective etching of enamel and so on. So many steps. I prefer to use that, but look, I work at the university. I have the time for doing that. And I prefer to use these ones, but I do understand when a dentist tells me, well, I, I, in many clinical cases, I use the universal materials. Um, sometimes on social media, dentists are so focused on evidence-based that they kind of forget the common sense as well. Yeah. Because, for example, some people on Instagram are now saying you should wait for five minutes. It lets the bond become stronger because there are no tensions. Because as soon as you put the composite on the surface, uh, a lot of tension rise. So wait five minutes for the bonding to kind of grow, which yeah. kind of sounds esoteric. But I mean, sometimes for five minutes... I mean, if you have another different filling or something, you can do in this uh, athletic bond grow and maybe works, but I don't think there's a real clinical significance. And as you said, in every study, and I never was never at university, but I really, some one time I really asked uh, one guy really hard, why didn't you test that? Why didn't you test that? And he said in the end, we wanted to have a real result and we don't want to have experiments. Yeah, that's a clinical study. <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed. That, that, that's that's the thing. Like there are many things that we do based on on very. Like I think it's funny when somebody defends it so hardly, something with such a low level of 
of scientific evidence. There are, in this case, there is no evidence, like the case that you are telling right now, there is no clinical, relevant, high-level quality evidence, scientific evidence, to prove that. There is maybe a, an in vitro study that shows that, but an in vitro study is a very low level of evidence. So should we take this into account? Of course we have to take this into account. But should we take it as granted and say that it needs necessarily to be done like that? No, because it is a very low level of evidence. You know? You see, it's like I receive this a lot. They say, yeah, but glass ionomers do not work well. They are weak. And I say, where have you seen that? Oh, yeah, there are many laboratory studies. If you see the megapascal, how many megapascal the glass ionomer have in comparison with a bonding? I say like, yeah, but glass ionomers are not made to work on the desk of a lab. They are made to work in the mouth, you know? So that's very typical because indeed, like in vitro, the glass ionomers perform really bad. But why? Because actually they are made to be used in the mouth, in contact with saliva, exchanging ions with saliva all the time, maturing, getting stronger. So actually, when we are, we are talking about clinical situation, the glass ionomer gets stronger and stronger over time, while the composite gets weaker and weaker over time because it degrades in saliva. You see? So, and then I tell, yeah, okay, but you see, you are using an evidence which is not even adapted to the clinical situation. Yeah, it's a very low level of evidence. And then on the other side, if you take the study from Professor Pilmans, for example, it's a literature review with, of clinical studies with meta-analysis comparing bonding systems, all kinds of bonding systems, self-edge, total-edge, univer not universal, it was not there in the study, single-bottle bonding systems, comparing with glass ionomers for restorations of class 5, non-carious class 5 restorations. And these are, it's not one clinical studies, it's all clinical studies in the literature put together, taking all this data, doing a meta-analysis, and the conclusion was that actually the glass ionomers were, were the ones with the best performance in terms of retention, yeah? In terms of retention. She could not test the rest because each clinical studies, study tests something different. This is another crazy thing for us to, to think about. But retention was something that she could collect results from all the clinical studies and we are talking about clinical studies. Hmm. And the glass ionomers were the ones with the lowest level of annual failure rate. So then, this is a high level of, of evidence dentistry, evidence-based dentistry. A, meta, a literature review with a meta-analysis of randomized controlled clinical trials. Now, when you come to me and you say, you have to do that like that because there is an in vitro studies that says that it gives 40 megapascal instead of 35, I say, well, sorry, but this is not evidence. In my class, CARB 5 committee was only GIC. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I don't want people to understand me wrong. Eh? Like, 
we know that the GICs will wear more. We know that the GICs will discolor more. So we, we should not be naive. But depending on the clinical situation, if I cannot use a rubber dam, if I have to work fast, if it's really subgingival and I have to care about the ceiling, okay, then I use a rubber dam. And it can be that it fails, it can be that it breaks. But when a glass ionomer failed, it's because the restoration failed. It wears off or it's discolored or it chipped, but the tooth is still intact. And when a composite fails because of a bad technique, it's not the composite that failed, it's the tooth because it failed because of postoperative sensitivity, because of secondary caries, and then finally endodontic treatment, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so we have to take all of this into account. You know, do I go around using glass for everything? No, of course not. Yeah, but I am aware that I have to study the clinical case and depending on this clinical situation I have, I may opt for a glass ionomer. Mathieu, it was always a pleasure to talk to you. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> I really like the study with uh, the glass ionomer in terms of retention. Yeah. I kind of try to tell that the next time in a discussion. Well, my meta-enders, I read, glass was the best in terms of voilà. it's, uh It's very easy. Dental materials, Pillman's, and collaborators. There is, I think, 2014 or 2017. I'm not uh, sure right now. Very easy to, to, to find this study. Great. Okay, Matteo. Thanks for the talk. I hope the next one doesn't wait for two years. <laughs> yes, I hope so. And I hope that next one can be presential so that we can meet each other and maybe drink something after the podcast. <laughs> yeah, because right <laughs> now the only thing I'm going to do is to take my car and go home, you know? <laughs> Actually, I started bicycling again. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. This I do as well. Yeah, but but I mean, yeah socially i'm not going to do anything you know i'm going home and i'm going to lock down myself or i'm going to take my bike and go alone to the forest you know? <laughs> <laughs> nothing else any netflix shows you can rec recommend right now oh sure thousand of them okay i'm going to tell two black mirror okay maybe you know that and then sensate sensate okay. sensate It's really cool, really cool. It's it's more like fiction. Yeah, it's fiction. It's about a group of young people from different parts in the world, but they are connected with with a with an extra sense like they can talk to each other and uh, via their mind like and they can feel each other and and then it starts and, and it's It's really crazy, It's but, but really nice. So Black Mirror and Sensate. Okay. I nearly watched everything from Black Mirror. I have to look Sensate app. Thanks Sense8. a lot. Yeah, Sensate. I put it in the show notes. Really nice. <laughs> Thank you very much, George. See you next time. Bye-bye.